Hello, my name is John Donahue and welcome to the Bite Size Weight Loss Podcast with Human Design. As always, the aim of this podcast is to give you simple tips, strategies and insights to master the game of healthy weight loss without giving up your life in the process. So thanks for listening today. And today, I'm very lucky because I get to subscribe to a lot of industry and expert journals and research publications. So every month I get sent, you know, tons of articles, tons of up-to-date science. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to start sharing some of these because people ask me loads of questions every week and they believe certain things and it actually really, really hinders their weight loss. A certain thought pattern or a myth or something that they think is fully true is not true and it can hold them back. But also these research things help give me answers to questions that then can uh, allow me to help my clients better. So as the, the one I'm going to cover this week is um, problem foods. Does moderation actually work? So you always hear people saying everything in moderation. But let's look at this. Uh, this is from an article I got in Precision Nutrition from their Research Insider. So problem foods, does moderation work? Well, the answer is yes, maybe, not always, not for everyone. Okay, so in a study at Penn State University in America, the researchers asked 186 women now, they classified these women as overweight or obese. They asked them to rank the foods you can't resist and find hard to stop eating. Now, I know we all have these, right? And the foods that most frequently topped the participants' list were ice cream, uh, chips, uh, chocolate, cookies, and pizza, which is, look, come on, it's standard for everyone, right? You probably didn't need a study to tell you that. But the scientists then went a step further they had these people follow a 12-month weight loss program and they monitored their strategies for managing these problem foods. So everyone has loads of tips for managing treats and alcohol and this stuff, but they wanted to see over a 12-month period how these women would cope with it. So basically the study snapshot was 186 women, average age 50 years old, average body weight 91.2 kilos, so it's about 200 pounds. Um, I don't know what that is in stone. It's about 15 stone, I think. 15 to 16 stone, and an average BMI of 34. So they were classified as overweight and obese. And the finding was limiting the portion sizes of problem foods was strongly related to weight loss. And you might think, ooh, that's obvious, but there was other strategies strategies they used that didn't actually work. So in fact, the people who used this strategy the most lost nearly double the weight as those who used it the least. So it was 7.2 kilograms loss versus 3.8 kilograms so some of the strategies that people use to manage problem foods were, one, I avoid eating my problem foods. Two, I avoid buying my problem foods. Three, I eat problem foods less frequently, but I don't worry about the amount I eat. Four, I limit the portion of problem foods that I eat. Five, I eat a lower calorie version of my problem foods instead. I actually thought that was a great idea, but it actually wasn't correlated with the most weight loss. Uh, Six, I allow myself to eat small amounts of my problem foods as a treat or reward. Seven, I avoid keeping foods in my house, car, or workplace. Again, I thought that was a great strategy, but it wasn't correlated with weight loss. And number eight, I rely on my friends, family, and coworkers to help avoid eating problem foods. So the one that was most correlated with weight loss was number four, I limit the portion of problem foods that I eat. So here's some takeaways today. Most of you know your problem foods. But, you know, by getting to know them or list them and identify them, it can really help improve your awareness and reveal patterns of what you're doing. So 
you know, everyone tries to get you to fill in a food diary of everything you eat, but I, I don't think, I think it's pointless. There's no point in listing all the healthy food you eat. I think it's better to zero in on what's called the trouble foods or the problem foods. And because when you reveal and you make a list of these, it can lead to far more effective strategies for managing the intake. You can then come up with any number of strategies to manage those specific problem foods. There's no point in you go and listing your food. I go, well, I eat poached eggs and spinach for breakfast. All right, that's okay. But let, what time of the day do you have treats? What, uh, how much of them you have? Where are you? Who are you with? And if you want kind of deeper insights into this, you can actually fill in a thing called the Yale Food Addiction Scale Worksheet. And it really, really helps you to understand your challenges and it can be really, really enlightening for you. So if you want to copy that, just send me an email or reach out and I can actually email you the form. Now, it doesn't mean you're addicted to food. It just, it just, it asks a load of questions like, uh, let me give you some examples. I spend a lot of time feeling sluggish or fatigued from overeating. Do I agree? Is it once a month, two, three times a month, two, three times a week? Do I eat to the point where I feel physically ill or do I find myself eating certain foods even though I'm no longer hungry? I mean, we all do that, especially dessert after dinner. So it's a really good sheet to give you insights into what patterns you're doing and what foods you're actually eating. And the second takeaway from this is tasty foods are likely to be eaten, right? So this study doesn't support avoiding foods. and But to be honest, in my coaching experience and working with clients, a person's environment massively matters because if their kitchen or office is filled with their problem foods, it can be a real, real problem. You know, I trained, I coached a CEO of a large insurance company in Australia and she had a real sweet tooth. And I said, well, you know, and she said one of the biggest problems was meetings. And I said, well, who's in charge of the food of the meetings? And she sat there for a second. She went, actually, I am. <laughs> okay, so can you remove the treats or the sweets uh, the cakes from the meetings and she said yes i could i said well do you want to do it she said you know what i'll try it and see and she actually did it and she actually reduced her sweet foods quite a lot and it learned it, it, it got to where she had less cravings and she started to manage her diet better so no matter how much willpower you have it's completely natural to grab the easiest and most tempting food options especially when you're tired especially when you're stressed especially when you're hungry. Now think about you being in four hours of meetings at work and you're coming out and the only option is a vending machine or the afternoon coffee with a banana bread or whatever's in the, uh, the biscuit jar on the office desk or the kitchen uh, in the office. So, you know, I have to remind you this. If a food is in your house or your possession or in your office, either you, someone you love, or even somebody you don't like will eventually eat it, okay? And this doesn't just, you know pretend to problem foods it also applies to foods we should eat frequently so you know at the end of the day we want to make the healthy choices really visible we want to make the healthy choice the easy choice and we want to make the problem foods the more difficult choice so we want to create as much friction between our choices for the unhealthy foods as possible so we you know one option to make the healthy choice the easy choice is to um you know have healthy fruit available have vegetables available have healthy snacks available put them everywhere that you can see them have water on your desk have an apple on your desk just make everything so that you're activated to do make a good choice and you make the the healthy choice the default choice and you know 
none of this requires an entire Sunday of food preparation, you know, but a little effort ahead of time can actually lead to much, much better choices in the moment. Because when we decide to get healthier, we decide to change our diet. I find that a lot of people do it when they're in a motivated mood, when they're reading their wellness magazine at the weekend, or when they've read an inspirational quote, but they forget what it feels like in the moments where they're actually tempted. They can't imagine that they're going to feel tired and sluggish and tempted. They just can't. It's called barrier underestimation. They underestimate the obstacles that are going to get in their way. And I talked about this in a previous podcast, uh, Weight Loss Mistake Number 2. I think it was episode 48. So, you know, a little bit of preparation can save a lot of hassle. So one, one thing I want to finish with here is um, just a reminder that the, the strategy that worked most was limiting the portion of the problem foods. But I think it, it's even better if you combine that with keeping the problem foods out of your house, out of your car, out of your workplace, or avoid them as much as possible. But one extra bit of advice I want to give you is that there really are no bad foods, okay? And I'm tired of making this point, but it's really, really, you'll see people on the internet doing this all the time. If this food's good, this food's bad, and they'll find a reason to say that it's bad. You know, people will say a banana or a piece of fruit is full of sugar, and then they forget about all the vitamins and the minerals and the fact that it'll fill you up and probably make you eat less junk food. And it's... um got good fiber in it it's low in calories you know they'll pick the one bad thing and then the people can't see the forest for the trees you know so who needs more guilt and shame in their life we have a lot of stuff going on in our lives and the last thing we need is people making us feel guilty about our food choices i'm lucky that i never feel guilty about what i eat and that's my ultimate aim for my clients is to let them you know eat a donut if they want it not or avoid a donut not because they feel guilty but because they don't like the the it's part of their identity not to eat that stuff but if they do want to have it they have it that's okay you know there's a subtle difference between demonizing a food and then just merely abstaining from it just because you know you tend to overeat it so people will say well you're no fun or why you know just have one but if you know certain foods are easy for you to overeat and taking a lot of calories then it's okay to try and abstain from it or try and avoid eating it and eating it less or limiting the size of it okay so i always advise clients to think a bit differently instead of you know universal good or bad foods I, I it's better to build kind of like a personalized list of their say red yellow and green light foods and this is something i learned from precision nutrition so you know here's how you could do it number one what are your red light foods these are foods that are you know they present a really difficult challenge for you and they just aren't worth the struggle so red light foods might not work for you because they don't help you achieve your weight loss. You always overeat them. Maybe you're allergic to them. You can't easily digest them. You don't like them. You know, some of my clients, the minute they eat bread or pasta, they do get bloated. Some people can't eat certain things. Um, then you can have yellow light foods. And these are foods that maybe you can eat a little bit of these and stop. Or you can eat them on the control at a restaurant with others, but not at home alone. And then green light foods are really nutritious. They're healthy. They make your body and mind feel good. You can eat them normally and slowly in reasonable amounts. And, and whole foods would make up the most of this list. And if you want a, a copy or an example of that, I've got some infographics that show you typical red, yellow, and green light foods. And it's just good because you can mark off what your problem foods are and, and then start to limit them or avoid situations where you know they're going to be and, and, and start to manage it. But at the end of the day, the first thing is awareness. And if you're not aware of your problem foods and how you're eating them and when you're eating them and how much, then you can't make any changes. So it's good for you to see patterns. So that was just a quick podcast today. So moderation seems to work for some people, but not all. 
But uh, we all have our own treat foods. We all have our own problem foods. But limiting the portion sizes of the problem foods seem to work strongly for weight loss. But in my mind, I think you should combine that with limiting the visibility of these foods. So, and one person's moderation is another person's gluttony. You know, I had a client say to me once, well, I don't drink a lot of alcohol. I just have two glasses of wine a night. And I found out it was two large glasses, but this was adding up to three or 4,000 calories a week. And she was wondering why she couldn't lose weight. So for me, moderation was one standard alcohol drink per day, if, if possible, or even just a couple of times a week. But in her idea, moderation was two large glasses of wine a night. So you can see where this can get confusing. All right. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you get something from it, please leave a review. Uh, it, it helps build the ranking of the podcast. And I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Have a great day. And thanks for listening.